near you. Um, let's gavel this to order. Um, I really appreciate you doing this, Kadim. Can you uh, tell me, how do you pronounce your last name? Aline. Aline. Okay, great. Well, Aline here, and then when I go through that, it's Aline. <laughs> Aline. Okay, all right. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I really want to pronounce people's names how they want them pronounced, and I'm I'm yeah. terrible at it. So, I, uh, Kadim Aline, I will do my yeah. best to uh, to to be appropriate with that. But if I say Alan, then maybe that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not from Trinidad, clearly. Um, well, 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 Kadeem, I really appreciate you doing this. You're, I my the, my favorite podcasts to do are generally with folks who I don't know but have something in common with, and you and I do overlap a little bit um, in the steel band world. And but I don't I don't know how much you and I personally have crossed paths in the steel band right. world. Um, and pardon my ignorance if we have a lot and I just don't remember. But. Um, but I'm curious before, you know, and I think I'm trying, I was trying to remember how we got, how we met on Facebook. And I think for better or worse, it was probably the vaccine is probably what, <laughs> what how we, how the two of us yeah. may be connected. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I it, we can, I'm open to talk about whatever. And quite frankly, I would prefer to talk about that stuff with, with a human being like you and face to face rather than on social media, but yeah. I'm open to talk about whatever. So whatever you're comfy with, um, before we get into that, I'm curious, can you just tell me a little bit about baby Kadeem? Like. Where'd you come from? What what got you into music? I know you're you do some producing. Um, you know you you have your your feet in a lot of different worlds, and I'm just kind of curious if you can take me back and and tell me a little bit about what got you into this stuff as a kid. Well, um, I was born to two parents who were active. Well, at a point in their lives, they were active musicians, you know, in um, steel bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I um I was actually born in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um I was kind of sent to Trinidad or I moved to Trinidad at three years old. Do you right? remember or do you remember much of Brooklyn prior to three years old? No, I I don't remember Brooklyn before okay. that. All right. But um uh when I went to Trinidad, I well, my grandmother, she um, is who I was staying with, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, true, I'm staying with my grandmother. But I don't know if you know, but my uncle is Brian Serrett, who was the vice president of Pan Trinidad. Oh, okay. Right. That, that is her son. All right, all right. I mean, I I knew if, I know the the folks I knew in in Pantrambego. I think uh, when I first got introduced to what Pantrambego was, it was like Patrick Manning, um, like some folk, and it was through Cliff Alexis was how I learned about that stuff. Um, right. But anyway, it's interesting to sort of piece some more people together in this world. But my family was um, very culturally involved and actively um, a part of the progression and is presently a part of the progression and advancement Mm. in cultural um, activity and expression in Trinidad and Tobago. You know, so I kind of (laughs) just followed that, you know, I grew up. Sorry, go ahead. ahead. I grew up in that, you know. Well, it's interesting. And this is stuff that like to me, Again, like I was born in Ohio. Uh, I was introduced to steel drumming when I was in ninth grade um, by a woman named Joan Wenzel, who had worked very closely with Cliff Alexis, and then she introduced me to him. 
And the very first things he said to me as a 17 year old kid in, in high school, like he showed me these scars on the back of his head from when he was beat by a policeman in Trinidad for playing pan, you know? Yeah. And as a 17 year old, I, you know, in a, in a very small town, like I didn't, I saw, I knew, I knew the cop in my town. Her name was Mrs. Hanner. She was Steph Hanner's <laughs> mom, you know, like, and so like for me, I never, I was ignorant to the way some stuff played out in, in the world historically between positions of power and, and folks who are being oppressed. And so I, whatever I learned that in seventh, fifth grade or sorry, ninth grade, I was like, that is the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life. Why would anybody ever do that? And when I left town, I moved to the East Coast. I get, you know, anyway, point being culture was something that was like stuck at me from day one with cliff and i'm really curious for you like but i didn't i wasn't three years old thinking about this stuff like how aware were you of the importance of what your folks were doing as a kid like i know to you now it's clearly important but as a kid were you aware of of how that stuff was interplaying with your life and culture and stuff Nah, i was just being a kid at the time you know i was Mm. enjoying life and you know again to um experience, I guess, a different childhood, a different, mm-hmm. you know, a different aspect of Trinidad and Tobago too, because not a lot of kids in Trinidad and Tobago had that, or, or has that experience. Mm-hmm. Sorry, hold on one second. Fine, you're good. Yeah, so, um, I... You know, I basically was, like, seeing my cousins go to the panyard and always wanted to go. And, you know, like, it was something that, I don't know, I just see as a, a, a thing to do because my family was doing it. And I find, like, well, sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah, but I um, I basically just was enjoying life, mm-hmm. enjoying my well. Um, the another came from Brooklyn. It had its um moment that you know I you know well mm-hmm. you know the, the family thing. Being that you're from Brooklyn, you know, it have a, a, a translation that would get lost mm. or, or, or behavioral, you know, little things that culturally, yeah, Trinidadians don't do that American kids do that, you know, I had to grow out of. But other than that, I was enjoying life and I really didn't, I didn't know what was the, um, like at five years old and thing, and I, I didn't, I wasn't studying pan and panorama. And I would just see my cousins and them do it. And, you know, I see my aunt, my mom used to come every year to Trinidad mm-hmm. from New York to play mass, you know. So what I was, see it as something that, you know. 
When you say that there there were some things that culturally as an American you had to grow out of because they weren't that wasn't something that was done in Trinidad. Can you just lay out a few of those things for me? Like what's something specific that like um well you know Trinidad have a very colonial background. Mm-hmm. They're very mm-hmm. um you know, so certain disciplining um discipline habits or or, or methods that they would use would be probably a little bit or considered a little bit harsh. and In America or Trinidad? In Trinidad, uh, right? Okay. So when I went to Trinidad, being that I already had a, a, a you know, a personality, me, um, you know, growing up in America, seeing certain behaviors and, you know, how it is mm. with kids. Yeah, yeah. I, really be conditioned and well, from what my grandmother and my parents told me at the time, mm-hmm. you know, I had to really be, you know, like disciplined and you know, shown how to do certain things and you know, mm-hmm. because here, yeah, the, the, the system for disciplining kids in the daycares and all that was real kind of lax, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's, it's something that's, I mean, for me, one of the things that I noticed the most, that I still notice the most as a foreigner coming into a Trinidadian culture, especially, I notice it more in Trinidad than in Brooklyn, but in Trinidad, the um, the sort of, uh, I don't know how to say it, like, the communication within the band is very much a game of telephone, right? Like, and I know it's different band to band. Renegades operates way different yeah. than Skiffle Bunch, and they are operates way different than Phase 2, but... There was a lot more when you say the word lax, that's the way I felt in a in a Trinidadian rehearsal. I was like yeah. nobody's running anything and it feels like it's chaos, but somehow the band starts and it works together and the parts get worked out. In you know, I was just with So Percussion, the group I'm in, we were playing a show with the Cincinnati Symphony last weekend. And it's like in those in that world, there's a union clock. When the clock strikes yeah. twelve, people get up and leave. Yeah. Whether the music sounds good or not, you know, like, and so for me coming to Trinidad and being like, no, I get it. We can rehearse for 12 hours. That's awesome. But I'll bet this rehearsal could be eight hours, you know, and then orchestra rehearsals. Yeah, I get it. Two hours. You know, it's nice to be done after two hours. We can rehearse for five, you know, like, like, can we find a middle ground here? And like, to me, those are just, I'm not, there's no value judgment there really. Um, Cause I think there's benefits to both. Yeah. But I'm curious, like, like, what do you see now in America, um, now that you live in Brooklyn and you've, you've, you have a deep experience in both, what are some of the biggest cultural differences between, like, let's say I have never seen steel bands before, right? I come in from Louisville, Kentucky, never heard of steel band. What are some of the things I'm going to notice about differently maybe about an American Caribbean band versus a Trinidadian, you know, panorama band or steel band in general? Um. Just appreciation, you know, for people. Appreciation for people, you know, is and and for for people's time and effort, you know. That that I think is is a real profound thing that you know Americans kind of <laughs> because it's. We we kind of get conditioned that time is money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That we really think, you know, mm-hmm. time is money. 
But time is not really money. Time is 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 feeling and emotion and effort and you know is is a lot of things that you know culminate to make time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's that that value. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I think uh, if I'm just clocking some, you know, thinking sort of thinking ahead to what maybe we'll talk about in terms of the sort of societal views around the vaccine, for example, or vaccine hesitancy, like there's a lot of assumptions that get made. And when I was growing up, the predominant, like one of the many stereotypes that happened uh, or that I was told was like, black people are going to be late to everything. Nothing's ever going to start on time or end on time. Right. And those are like some of just stereotypes. And then I get into a Trinidadian steel band and I'm like, well, they're they're not wrong in the fact this is all starting two hours late. Okay. That's not wrong. I mean, or, or they're right about that. But the reason, but, but the reason is not why I was told it's not laziness. It's not a lack yeah. of education. It's not a lack of drive or work ethic. Like none of that is true. So it's like, okay, well let's go back. I was told maybe something that was true, that sometimes things start on late in different cultures, start late in different cultures. But I was told mm-hmm. the reason the reason why was wrong, and that's the thing. Like the prioritization around how that time is used is something yeah. that I see differently between these cultures. Am I am I misdiagnosing anything there? No, 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 you're not misdiagnosing it. That's exactly it, and it happens in Trinidad too. I mean, I I, I think um, because I think we spoke on this before, but as a person, I don't really like to differentiate between Trinidad and America within. Mm the steep and community mm. because I truly believe that pan is a culture. Mm. And once they get involved in that, you know the routine, you know the groove. You mm. know, you, like you see like a man like Jonathan Skills, mm-hmm. he I wouldn't consider him a pan man per se, he's a pan performer, he's a steel pan performer. But a pan man who played pan and who's pan culture. Not to take nothing away from the brother. Because yeah. he's a great musician, totally, I'm a yeah. you know, he's one of the the, the the ones breaking grounds right now. But if you understand what I said, pan have a a a a a, a it just have a community that you know one and a, a, a habit and methods that and a liberty. I as I as a Rasta man, so. You know, a, a certain living, a certain way of life. Mm-hmm. You know, because I watch the steel pan an instrument too, as something symbolic tuna, and I really think that you know it's not. It's when I when I speak out on certain things, and I speak especially with regards to injustice, with regards to pension bago and certain thing, mm-hmm. is because I see that. Even presently, they're not valuing where it where it come from and what the the symbol is or mm. was for that instrument when it was created. Now. You know, like it's a real profound thing, being that it was the only instrument invented in the twenty first century, right? Mm-hmm. And is one of the only instruments that sustainable. Now it it it, it comes from raw material, 
Mm-hmm. And it, it in in essence, it helping the environment. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. I hadn't thought about it as necessarily like a green instrument in terms of you know, exactly. the, you know, recycling. Exactly. I, of course it is. It absolutely makes total sense. But like, I hadn't thought of like advertising it as like that is anyway. Good point. I, I like that. Can I steal it? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, a really what good. that's what it is. I mean, and you know, I mean, I want to mix the normal way I like, but that is how I live in. I Rasta. Mm. So I see things like that. I, you know, I, I'm not just Rasta, but as a, African man, mm-hmm. I believe that you know the root. We have to go back, always go back to the root, and 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 to me, th- that is one of the most rudical instruments ever created. And we have to really, you know, look at the symbolism and the whole thing. You know, not just it's the only instrument created in the twenty first century, and you know, it it, it have a reason for that, that that it is green-friendly and environmentally-friendly. Have a reason for that, you know? Mm. And these things are profound, and that's why we're here today, because we didn't really take that blessing and 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 bless back, you know? Well, one the, of the things... The, the that give it to us. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's interesting for me to try to figure out and to talk with you about, like, you know, I, I read this book called Bury the Chains uh, over the Christmas holiday, and it's about it's by this guy, Adam Hochschild, and it, he, he basically details the end of the British slave trade from, like, the late 1700s to the early uh, 1800s. And there were, like, 12 people, like a former slave ship owner, John Newton, like, like a whole hodgepodge of just, like, crazy, one former slave, like, th- and the way that they were able to sort of dismantle and convince people to end the the, the British slave trade, not end slavery, but end the slave trade, was mm-hmm. just like, it really impressed on me this idea that history is made in days, not in years. You know, when we think yeah. about slavery ending 156 years ago in the United States, for example, or in Trinidad 50 years prior to that, like, that's 60,000 days ago. And when you think about it in that context... Okay, so slavery's ended in Trinidad, right? Do you think day one after slavery was ended, that slavery actually ended? No. The next day it was like the slave the slave owners were still like, ah, we can squeeze one more week out of this, right? You know? And then two weeks later, and then fourteen days, and now here we are, sixty thousand days later, and we're still wondering why there's vaccine hesitancy because the Tuskegee experiments weren't, they were like 10,000 days ago. Like that wasn't that long ago. You know, when you look at it all, anyway, to me, when I think about the history of Trinidad and Tobago in the steel drum and how in Trinidad, an organization like Pan Trombago is trying to advocate for an instrument that only 10,000 days ago was cause for beating Cliff Alexis over the head with a pipe. Yeah, it all of a sudden seems like, oh man, it makes total sense why the why this stuff is still messy, you know. Um, yeah. So, like from your vantage point, knowing that your folks have been involved in this, like what what do you see as like if you had all the money, like you had a hundred million bucks, and no one was standing in your way logistically to stop anything that was happening from your vantage point. What would you do with that hundred million bucks? What do you see as the biggest bleeding artery in the sort of advocation for culture in Trinidad and Tobago and in New York City? What do you see as the biggest artery that we need to stem the bleeding from with this money and 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 help to turn the ship around? And for lack of a better word, and maybe money isn't the only thing that you need. Maybe it's time. Maybe you just like if I got to have six months with all these people in the room, we could fix that problem too. But from your vantage point, 
the answer can also be I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fine to say I don't know too. Sometimes you know that's that's a big question. And a real deep question to answer it because you know, and I I emotional about it. That's why I take him so long. No, please, please. But um. My family went through a lot and still going through a lot. But um, we just need to, you know, just stop the corruption. The corruption. You see, because, and I do like to get too spiritual, but, you know, it's, it's a spirit of confusion. Mm-hmm. And, Pan is a spiritual thing. Music is a spiritual thing. You know, and it keeps happening and happening and happening and happening. And we see what we know in Trinidad, you know. I meet I meet um I mean to, you know, thing, but it comes into main fragments. But I met Leroy Clark, the um famous artist. And you know, he was explaining to me the the same instrument, his perspective, the steel pan. And he was saying to me, you know, this is male and female. This is the 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 male, he holding his stick. He said, This is the male, you see, it's a penis. You know, and he said the steel pan, the pan itself is, you know. Mm-hmm. The female um, private part or whatever. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I didn't even think of it like that, you know. But it has so many perspectives and so many um, things that we could look at with regard to this instrument. And because it, look, at, look now, it's now a meditational instrument, even though they're calling it a hand drum. It's now a meditational instrument that they're using to, you know, it's the same tune. I'm a producer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I listen. I have my own personal. I have an irrational <laughs> hatred of the hang drum, and it's not like I said. It's not. I'm not. It's irrational, and it's because before I learned about it, any sort of the background of of the the hang drum and the it, I just there were all so many gigs, so many gigs I've been on where people are like. All them things hurt me real, real hard to see them things happening, you know. It it, yeah. it it really hurt because, you know, um I grew up seeing Liam Teague on TV, wanting to be Liam Teague. Mm-hmm. I grew up seeing Liam Teague come on on TTT. I used to wait for that video, hands mm-hmm. of lightning, bling, donkey, 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 donkey. It, listen, just that you singing that makes me want to go practice and n- not play in public. <laughs> just because I know, Lee, like, I listen, I, you and I watched that video at the same time, I think, just in different parts of the yeah. world, feeling terrible about my playing afterward. <laughs> and that, that that is true inspiration, boy, to see yeah. the fellas and you wanting to be, you know, and, and they look like you and, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, so all them is 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 what inspired me. Now, it kind of you know, it, it I thought it would have grown and developed 
into something, you know, fruitful and up. But it just seemed like, you know, it 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 depreciate and you know it it, it bubbled down into something that is non-existent now. You hardly see that pan man on TV. I mean you might see them more now because you know it are one two station trying to keep the culture alive, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, but um I really think just need a station in Trinidad a TV um YouTube channel Trinidad culture and history because Trinidad and Tobago is a place and um ge- geographically that affected so many parts of the world. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. is be so amazing to hear stories about, you know, Trinidad and who in Trinidad and what they do in Trinidad. You know, it's at a time I was in the airport in Texas and a man come and sit down next to me and thing and say, like me here or something. And he hear my accent and he say, you from Trinidad, right? And I watch him like, you know, and he say, I, I know you want to know I know that. <laughs> you know, but because he went to Trinidad and he in the base down there, you know, when they had the base in Macri, he was mm-hmm. in the war and yeah, mm-hmm. so you know it have them. You understand? So Trinidad is a place that I really think historically it needs to be something that is a beacon, not only just for Trinidadians, but people in the Caribbean. Because when you look at the history of slavery and all them things, it's it not just, you know, is yeah. it, it, it is 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 people from Grenada was coming, Vinci, you know, Jamaica was coming, you understand? So it's, I mean, it's a whole real um, Kalalua people now. Mm. It's a real Kalalua people, and you know, it's something that we really need to get into to understand it. Yeah. And, and who we are, you know. Well, let me let me add some uh, with the hundred million dollar question that I posed to you. Let's say that let's let's assume that that hundred million dollars allows you to bypass the corruption that you're worried about. And I'm curious from your standpoint exactly how you would like right now, like if you had to spend that hundred million dollars tomorrow, how you would spend it. And I want to, from my standpoint, if I had a hundred million dollars, what I would do is hire, seek out a team of a hundred player, a hundred people who were uh, musically. And when I say musically literate, I'm saying like have the ability to, uh, transcribe, write down stuff in Sibelius or Finale, can record it, and are constantly with the driller and the arranger at every rehearsal from day one in Trinidad after the new year, um, just cataloging everything. Because every year, 30 to 40 junior panoramas, single band uh, pieces, and large conventional band pieces get written and disappear. And one of the reasons that we all look to people like Beethoven or Bach, and we, we're like, oh my god, these were the four five. It's because their music was written down. We have it still, you know, and Jit Samaru, Bugsy Sharp, Robbie Greenwich, Pat Bishop, Mia Gormandy. Like there's a whole handful of folks here who are writing music that just disappears and it crushes me every year. Devon Stewart, Kendall Williams, you know, Odie Franklin, like the list goes on. And in 200 years, if those panoramas aren't around or those small pieces aren't around to look to and be like, this is what was happening to me, that's my worry. Um, so I don't know if that's the best use of that money, but to me, that's the thing I see sort of going down the drain every year in terms of culture is the music itself. 
I would do that. I also have a plan that I was actually active. Um, I was actually looking for the plan to create a cultural arts facility. Now you see a hundred million. I think that's how much it cost. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a um, cultural arts facility that was to really house you know many different. Um, businesses that are derivatives from the steel band mm. and, and cultural expressions in Trinidad and Tobago. For example, like, you know, wire bending. You know, you need somebody to make a little mask for you, right? And even with um, pan, it has steel pan crafted that, um, you know, it, it's something that you need workers, you need people to help out the tuna. Mm-hmm. You understand, especially if you're in a facility. And then, of course, we have with the advancement of the steel band, we need a lab so that we could try and, you know, try different methods. You understand? Mm-hmm. I never hear a gold band in life. Suppose you hit a gold band thing and you cure all the cancer in it. You never know. You understand? Yeah. But yeah. we need, you know, we need to reach that level of, of, um, I don't know, boy. Like it, it, it just drama, and you know, yes, it's music, you know. But remember, the music making people feel well the- something. I, I know that you and I have messaged a bit on Facebook and private messenger about like the, the sort of taking the, the focus off of panorama because it's sort of like, Oh cool. You guys are all psyched about the one big thing that happens every year, but you ignore us the rest of the year. You know, I totally understand that argument. Mm-hmm. I totally understand the argument. I hear it all the time in New York too. And I totally, totally get it from, yeah. from my side of things. When I'm thinking of like, how do I, like if I'm going to go talk to a local politician about how to allocate whatever funds they have for the arts. If I'm advocating for football, for example, but the one thing I want to remove from everybody's viewer is the Super Bowl. I do wonder, even though I think the suit, I understand why the Super Bowl isn't the like determining factor for what's a good football team. But like the panorama is the thing that really hyper focuses the world on this thing that you all are doing. And I just personally want to lodge the sort of worry, not a complaint, but a worry that if that goes away or if there's a focus taken off of that, that it might actually make selling the other stuff a little harder. Um, But again, Um, I'm just speaking from a little ignorance here because, you know, obviously. But I'm really putting on on the realms. Is music... In, in 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 front of you know on DT and like you know guys like Robert Greenidge you know is is the music mm-hmm. you know is the music the music you know a lot of I seen everybody playing covers these days which yeah. is nice you know you're showing your skill but we need music mm-hmm. you understand Ralph Robertson and them was trying was doing you know creating genres like you know pan jazz and you know yeah. trying to because it's about the music mm-hmm. you understand mm-hmm. and and the music is what make 
the 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 inspiration come out, you know. That's what's about inspiration and keep the thing flowing, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm not against Panama. You know, I I win twenty Panama. <laughs> I haven't. I've never won a panorama, so that's maybe where I'm speaking from. Once I win one, I can be like, "Fine, get rid of it. I don't care. Whatever." <laughs> I, I I win plenty panorama out there, you know, plenty bands. But when you realize um, you're playing and you're not getting, you know, you're not getting really nothing for it, and mm. you know, you could play, you could play in a band record and get some rights and you know yeah like for example the spritz you know he just play and that playing all over the place he, he gain money for it mm-hmm. you understand so this is the things we have to create we have to cram make a man like a a a, a, a miles davis mm-hmm. or a, um a christian scott you understand we had to put up our man in them pieces, in them spaces, and create that vibes from Trinidad. Look at what Christian Scott does do with his. I don't know if you know Christian Scott, but you know, he uses, you know, the elements where he comes from in Africa mm-hmm. and cultural um, diversity and um, elements to create his music. You know, I actually was been on a project right now. With real band to to try and not bring back, but you know keep Panjas at the forefront now, boy. Because you know a lot of um, what I've realized when I went Trinidad is a lot of the musicians know how to play R and B, gospel, and you know all the other genres. But when it coming down to calypso and soca. It have a little, you know, it has certain elements and certain things that, you know, is being left out now. And and, mm. and these are the things that, you know, I, I want to try and emphasize on because I've been around some of the greatest in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, I have something to say in, in, in that part. And, well, I, I did a podcast with Duvon Stewart the other day, and he was telling me a little bit of the infrastructure of Renegades and how they, you know, and some of the stuff that, that Dr. Jit Simrus put in, to, instituted in terms of infrastructure, and they got a grant or something from the government to, like, set up, like, a music teaching academy sort of thing within the Renegades Association, and... To me, like when I was thinking, and it's like, and then he started explaining how he teaches music to Renegades, how Samaru taught that music, and like each section leader in the band is musically literate so that they can then teach the music out. Like to me, it's like, wow, part of that $100 million could go to like an investment fund that helps to fund music literacy. And again, I absolutely, in terms of culture, the thing I'm terrified of when I say music literacy is the idea that the music wrote teaching would go away. Like, I'm a yes and sort of guy. Like, if, if, if a Trinidad Steel Band had the strength they have with the rote learning, but also had that same level of strength with, if, if you know, Kendall Williams walks in the room and hands a score out to the four-pan players, they have that same strength. I'm telling you, bro, whatever band has I, that is going gonna, is gonna to take it to the next level. And I'm, I'm just curious if and how to even get to that point. 
without losing the cultural aspect of it, you know. I just think we need to think a little bit more progressive. Like I hear you talk about the Super Bowl mm. and like, you know, being around my uncle who I believe is one of the most progressive men in the steel bank men mm. in regards to um like just organization and what he did with Pan Beguna. But that will be said when that time comes. Mm. I I get I get certain information and certain um, I have a certain view and a certain perspective that I, you know, was um, privy to now. And I, I think that that is um, how my view will always be regarding steel band. Like, I think a lot of steel bands still thinking, you know, they're still thinking within the threshold of... Um, Pantron Bego and Trinidad and mm-hmm. you know, like I I not thinking about that. Like mm-hmm. my motivation is outside of Trinidad and trying to get it out and making this thing. You know? Yeah. yeah. So you know, like the piano, like the saxophone, I want mm-hmm. to see the panda. <laughs> That's how I see it. Like yeah, yeah. I don't think I honestly think like a lot of people not seeing it like that. And that is all um that is part of the reason why I just be asking for unity and mm-hmm. and, and and a union and all these things because part of my vision and that that was partially inspired by my uncle is, you know. That that is what is really needed in the vision unity, mm. you know, because in NBA in the NBA you can look. Um, I don't know if you see the thing with the basketball team and when they in um the the, the stands the basketball players and thing. I forget name. Um, Reginald and all that was was fighting and. Mm-hmm. In in, in. But why I speak why I speak about that is because I want it as Ambino, we should be like you know, a real united. Um, but the reason why I mentioned the basketball team is because I feel like you know we should have a movement whereas nobody outside should be able to come and, you know, destroy, damage, or um, undermine the players Mm -hmm. and the arrangers. You understand? And I really believe, like, and I would say it bold, even I really believe, like, sometimes the arrangers does undermine the player too. Mm -hmm. With the whole scale of the thing, because... We does know and we does know, but everybody does still do what they do in there. You understand what I'm saying? I think so, yeah. Like, I mean, go ahead, sorry. Like, for example, for it plain, like, we know, everybody know Pando and money, but yet still, Arrangers making big money. Mm-hmm. Tuna's making big money. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things the that same, I... It's the same big money that, that everybody making. We could, we could have put it together 
and everybody would have taken big money. But because everybody, and I understand everybody had their responsibilities and this and that, but if we really say we're a movement, we had, to, we had to sacrifice and make certain kind of, you know, to, we can't be going in the same thing over and over. And that's part of the reason why after Clyde Valley died, uh, I, I, I protest, you know, after that, I stopped playing band mm. for a good while, you know, for a good few years because I was like, you know, people really, she, not only the arrangers, fan players, you know, and, and even the parents who learn the child come, you know, it's like, well, this is this is one of the differences that I when I when I mentioned the difference between the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra and like Skiffle Bunch. Whenever like Cincinnati is going to rehearse for two hours, and then once that two hours is up, there's somebody's going to walk out on stage and be like, "Go home." Versus, <laughs> versus Skiffle Bunch, um, where we're going to rehearse for eight hours, and it's sort of loose when things are get done, right? But at the Cincinnati Symphony, everybody in that room, everybody in that room, from the person playing triangle to crash cymbals to the flute. Or the concertmaster is getting paid $193.72 to be at that rehearsal. <clears throat> and then when they come back the next day, they're going to get another $192.72 to be at that rehearsal. And again, there's a plus and minus here because once someone's being paid an hourly wage, then once those two hours are up, they're out. You know, if there's some sort of formula where within the steel band infrastructure, let's say Skiffle Bunch or Despers or Phase or Renegade, it doesn't matter. That there's a larger infrastructural like fund that every player from the eight-year-old who's playing double tenors to the guy who's been playing drum set or iron for 40 years in the band, everybody's going to get 75 TT for being at that rehearsal. No matter what. Like, I'm curious what the level of investment, you know, because the thing I've noticed is the hardest group in the, pa- in the, ba- in the band to get, sorry, go ahead. I mean the culture, but I don't think you should see everybody neither. Say that one more time. Sorry, it was cutting in and out. I, say, I think you see everybody neither. Like, if you see the band, I don't think everybody should be in. When I mean everybody, like children, like you wouldn't pay children, you know, you would make it a, 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 a little experience, mm-hmm. you know, for example. And they let them, you know, they, they, they work for certain credits or mm. whatever it is. And, mm. you know, according to how much credits they get in the steel band, the junior steel band, you get to play Panorama Night, or, you know, yeah. and according to how you're doing any practice in the, in the, in the big people's steel band, mm. you know, you get to play semi finals night. Like, you know, like, and and all these things could be sorted out where a person playing and yeah. Well, I think all these be sorted out with just simple organization and working out. Well, hey, give a man an initiative and nothing wrong with that. If somebody really want to play, they will come. Yeah, they will have the people who just struggling and pull the band behind and commentate and and we would have a more disciplined running way is a groove and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no I mean I I'm agreeing with everything you're saying here and, and I think 
the act of organization itself is, yeah. I, I mean, I think ask Cliff and Ellie and all those guys from day one, organizing themselves to do what they did was damn near impossible. And so like, you know, that, that is the hardest nut to crack. How do you organize your friends to do something that nobody else wants to do? I just, you know? I just watch it at on any scene, right? For example, you go, like I just always tell people, you go to that, every, every block you walk, five minutes or two, two step you make, you're seeing great talent. You understand? Great talent, but they are no management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't have proper management. It's the same thing with the steel band community. Great talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to be... Potential. I'm going to be honest with you. I was playing the thing that we were doing with the Cincinnati Symphony was a concerto for a percussion quartet written by David Lang. Um, and the four of us played a concerto with an orchestra. The fourth movement, I open the movement with 90 players playing by myself double seconds. And then the orchestra comes in. And if you think for two seconds that I don't have and I don't that I don't think about the privilege and the, the situation I'm in in that moment. I don't, if you think I don't see those two scars on Cliff's head every time I go, and I start to play on a symphony stage with an orchestra, like it's terrifying because I, I am well aware of the struggles and the things that, that are happening anyway. But just to speak to the point that you made, like I would say, if it makes you feel any better that the, the steel drum I'm clocking way more involvement of the steel drum in other parts of pop culture, classical music culture, new music culture than I ever did when I was in high school or college. So just for a little piece of good news, if it helps at all, like (laughs) I think it is happening in ways and I play that and I played those double seconds and you know what, what everybody said in the orchestra. Great. And isn't that what the piano gets? That's what the violin gets now is like, cool. Like it's not a, it, it wasn't like nobody was walking up throwing change in my drum, asking me to play Jimmy Buffett, telling me to wear a flowered shirt. Like mm. to me that was a tiny sign of like, all right, okay. <laughs> like like yeah, we need what we need we need working as a, in tiny ways. Yeah, we need a pan man to at least, you know. And you know, we don't really subscribe to what nobody think that we really because we mm-hmm. rebellion, but same way. It would be nice if a pan man get a Grammy. You understand? Totally. Are you it would be so that the youth and them come in anything could, you know, hey, you have a Grammy. You know, that, that is the motivation I have. Like when I see certain youth and things playing pan and I'm a producer, I will let them know, well, yo, you have a talent, come in the studio. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. Come in the yeah. studio, you write a song, like we do a little album, bam, bam, bam. And you jump out there and you do your thing. You understand? And you make your money. You understand? And you're teaching them now how to be an artist and how to be a a, a, a producer and how to be, you know? Well, I, you understand? Totally, totally. And and I think the, the thing that you said a few times, and I want to sort of broach the next subject with you here on that, on that premise, like you've talked a lot about unity as sort of being the thing that is the goal that I think we're all striving for on some level here is like an ability for us all to see the forest for the trees and see a goal that we're going to move towards together. And I think one of the things that I have been struck by in a very depressing way by the last two years is society breaking at the seams and nobody being willing to even talk to each other about vaccines or how or why some people see things the way they do. Um, 
And I know you and I haven't always agreed on things on Facebook, but my gut said that Kadeem is a person who's, who clearly loves a lot of the same things I do. So perhaps I can talk to Kadeem, you know, and I'm really glad I did because I want to ask you something that I've, I've, I think I've absorbed a bit being in this, in the pan culture, but I don't actually know a whole lot about. You said that you're a Rasta man and that you, you, you follow a lot of the tenets and thoughts of Rastafarian um, thought and religion. And I'm curious, um, can you just teach me a little, like what don't, from your vantage point, what are, what are the most important tenets of your particular worldview as it pertains to Rastafarian traditions? And like, because again, I grew up in a cornfield. This is the most hair I've ever grown out on my head on purpose, you know, <laughs> and, that, and I trim it every like two months only because my wife tells me to. And I have no personal, I have no personal ideological reasons for cutting my hair. I cut it and I don't even think yeah. twice about it, but you do. Right. And you yeah, like yeah. Rastafarians clearly do. And I met my first Rastafarian friend when I was in Trinidad in 2002 and it made no sense to me. And, but again, that doesn't, there's no value. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I just don't understand it. So can you tell me a little, like what, what are, what is a Rastafarian sort of viewpoint and, and why do you think the way you do? Well, um, I consider myself a new age Rasta because, you know, every day learning and you get new knowledge. Mm-hmm. So um, it, the, 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 the root of the inspiration is Rastafari. So that's part of, part of why I, I did. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. All right. I wonder. I can you do me a favor. Leave your video off. Sometimes that makes the audio really clear. Um, and despite okay. I love seeing your voice, seeing your face while you talk, but I wonder if it'll be clearer <laughs> this way. <laughs> um, sorry, I, 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 you cut out there, and you were saying that you're you are a new age Rastafarian. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because, um, you know, in reality, and I live in reality, you know, the reality is that we don't really know what is. We never really God. Nobody can really say, well, you know, I went and talked to God yesterday and, you know, here we tell me. You understand what I said? So for a man to tell me that, you know, Selassie is God in reality, you know, I take that. In my reality, in my universe, and I see that, you know, well, what it means is that they see God in him. Mm-hmm. You know, they see goodness, they see, you know, they see some something that I, I guess Christians would say is Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, people just revere him for certain um, actions that he... he, he he did in history, you know, and not only that, um, you know, the bloodline is is a is a revered bloodline, mm. you know. So within all of that, I you know I gather that as you know the godliness is in me. Mm. But within all of that too, I also believe that you know every man is a humanitarian, you know. So like we have a responsibility now, boy, not only to each other, but to the earth, you understand, and and as 
human beings, we are as much a part of the earth as the earth and, and the rock and, you know, the trees mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you understand? That is yes. my whole psychology now, boys. So to, to put it, I really believe that it have a new age set of rasters coming mm -hmm. <laughs> in this dispensation here. Yeah? Because, you know, we don't really subscribe to a lot of um, what, I, what I would say is um, limitations or, you know, any um, like guidelines per se. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it have different mansions, right? It have mm -hmm. 12 tribe, Bobo Shanti. You understand? I just consider myself Rasta, you know, or a Selassie because I do read and um, I do read and research a lot of the works of his imperial majesty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I take that very important to me and my family too, you know. Can, can you, um, uh, I want to ask a specific question about the, so I, I the, my first uh, exposure to Rastafarian culture was an anecdote about Bob Marley's death, that he got cancer and that because of the tenets of Rastafarian belief that you do not cut anything that grows naturally out of your body, that he refused treatment and died of cancer. I don't know how much of that is actually true, but um, can you explain to me what is the Rastafarian belief about things like hair? Because uh, it contributes to, I think, what a lot of white people see as style, like dreadlocks and head wraps and all, all of the things that are m often misconstrued, I think, from the outside view looking in on black culture, like you think that everybody who has dreadlocks is Rastafarian, which is objectively not true. Like right. in terms of Rastafarian culture, what is the belief? How, why is the belief based? What is the belief that's based on sort of dreadlocks and cutting things off of your body? Or am I misunderstanding it? Well, I don't know about every Rastafarian, but I know um, it have, um, well, for example, like I subscribe to the idea that it is the antennas, right? This is the antennas to the gods. Mm -hmm. Or to the heavens, right? Because um, they say we come from the earth, and then the next thing is I subscribe to is um, Jah would make nothing on your body to grow if you had to cut it. You know mm -hmm. that ain't making sense. We make it to grow for if you had to come and cut it. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. these is the kind of philosophies we subscribe to. Like in, and then of course the Bible. A lot of you have a lot of rasters who subscribe to the Bible, like Bob Marley used to subscribe to the Bible, mm. and they also be they also said that you know Jesus had hair like wool, you understand? Mm. And so these these are the things that kind of contribute to what we know today as the Rastafari culture, mm. you know. But I I personally I just grew my hair because. Mm -hmm. I um I grew up with a mother who used to subscribe to um you know the the, the kind of Christian colonial vibes where I had to cut my hair every week and mm -hmm. you know for school and thing. And I just really didn't like that. And I always used to wonder why I had to cut my hair because I like my hair. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just you know do a lot of research and where she eventually tell me I had to find a reason to grew my hair and I eventually find Rastafari kinda, you know, and I started to seek mm. 
certain knowledges about because I was really into African culture. And my mother was, when I came back to America here, yeah, she was really into black empowerment and, you know, me reading um, about James Baldwin mm-hmm. and, you know, certain great black um, speakers and, you know, intellects. So even today I would be doing like, I, I was just doing research on CLR James, who is a um, great Trinidadian historian, but, you know, a lot of people don't know if it wasn't for CLR James, it wouldn't have no mark. So, you know, there's a lot of things that within the whole um, Rasta that, you know, contribute to my being, mm. you know. Well, can you... As a, and again, pardon me for asking any questions that seem super obvious or clunky or dumb here, but I'm 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 genuinely ignorant to a lot of a lot of those like the nuances you're laying out here are things that I've sort of heard of on the periphery, but don't actually know. You know, um, one of the things that's been really hard for me in terms of my religious upbringing. I'm married to a Lutheran pastor, um, and I was raised Catholic. Um, when I think of religion, or the things I've been taught again it's like being raised catholic everybody's like oh you must believe this one thing and in the same way with rastafarian there's different there are different levels to the catholic game and people believe in certain things that other people don't you know and um for me i've always been like if god created everything right like if if we're so enamored i'm talking about my religious upbringing if we're so enamored with how amazing god is then why are we so upset at the gaze he created why are we so upset at the blacks? Why are we so upset at the, you know, religious cons- or why are we so upset at Republicans? Didn't God create them too? Like, you know, like and to me, I've always wondered. And now we're in this situation where I and I'm, I'm not talking about you. I have a lot of friends from that I grew up with in Ohio who are very religious but are using the religion as a reason or like the belief that God made everything perfect. And I'm like, yeah, but God also made epidemiologists and scientists. I have a friend who works at Pfizer who's just a nerd, like a big nerd who wants to help people, you know? And so for me, I'm trying to parse all that out. Like, why are we as religious people okay with having the cutoff be like, well, God didn't create scientists, so we don't have to believe them. Like, I'm trying no, no, to, you know, what, what, what am I missing here? I, I love science. I actually grew up loving science. I was telling McGill the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying to her, if it is, I get all the fa- facts about this virus. And, you know, I am totally secure in my mind and that I have to take this treatment or this vaccine or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. No, no problem. Mm. But... Personally, for me, I am seeing a lot of things and I have seen a lot of things and my girlfriend has seen a lot of things that have us questioning, Mm. you know, a a whole lot about what is going on. You understand? What are some of those things in particular, if you don't mind being specific? Because I have have some things too. There's things I'm very frustrated with um, that I'm happy to lay out, but I'm curious from your end. I would would also like to say that I am not very religious or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't didn't grow up Rastafari. I had that Rastafari in my life. 
after mm. I was a I was a staunch Christian actually mm. in a Pentecostal church playing keyboard musical mm. director you mm. know so I went yeah. through all that but I I convert into Farai and I see the world through that lens and mm -hmm. I just truly believe that love is the conqueror and love is yeah. the only way you know we could really progress and if we really look at the real meaning of love and and use that we will really truly um get to where we is but what was your question it, well yeah, I, I um I don't know that I formulated it very well but I'm curious one of the, the biggest disconnect that I'm frustrated with, the thing that drives me the most nuts right now, is the um, what I'm seeing as sort of a misunderstanding of the vaccine hesitancy from the far left in terms of looking at, like, let's, I'm just going to paint with a broad brush, looking at, like, the black population as being ignorant yeah. to science, you know, like, whereas... Yeah. You know, two years ago, but like for me, the reason I'm frustrated by that viewpoint is two years ago when George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight, the entire left uh, in terms of politics was like, whatever black people say is the right thing. Yeah. We're going to have DEIA meetings. We're going to have grants. We're going to do scholarships for black, you know, underprivileged because everything in society contributes to their position in life because of racism. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that, but now here we are two years later, there's vaccine hesitancy in the black community, in particular in parts of Brooklyn, where they were only given the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which was stopped a few weeks into it because of blood clot worries. Exactly. And then that vaccine was not necessarily accepted by the WHO or the New York city Excelsior pass initially because it was only one dose, you know, like, here we are, and now basically the New York Times, everybody has been had no problem talking about the unvaccinated as being ignorant. And I, but then, and that really bothers me. Yeah. On the other side, sometimes when I'm talking with folks in the in the in the black community, there's a deep distrust of science. And I also have my my friend who's a big nerd who works at Pfizer who's just like toiling away. And I'm like, I know that she doesn't. She's just like toiling away trying to help. Like, and so I'm I'm a little bit sometimes caught in this middle ground. And I think I would love to be able to have a conversation with people where I where I can just help express better. Like it's not ignorance. They're not stupid. Are you fucking kidding me? I've been in that community for 11 years now and it's not stupidity. It's not mm. ignorance. It's deeper than that. And so what, what am I missing about how deep the distrust or mistrust of these things are? Like I, I I'm asking, cause I, I know that's a big question. I just don't because, know where to put my finger on it. Maybe, real close because the cases, the cases, and then, and then too, they really not did what, what happens is, we don't get representation in the media. We mm -hmm. don't get mm -hmm. we don't get the 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 for example, look what happened the other day. I think um somebody uh, a, a white woman was missing and they had it all over the place. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Uh, and this is this is a, a prime example of the coverage that our community gets. Mm -hmm. So could you imagine right now with the adverse reactions what's going on with, with, with people? It happening. It's people that I know. It's people that my girl know. It's people that, you understand? This is things mm -hmm. that happen too, it, they're too close to comfort now, boy. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that is the issue right now with regards to the media and what they, they 
and and a lot of people who they who saying that we ignorant, you know, mm-hmm. the media and, and everybody is painting a a, a a very biased or one-sided view, and that is a very um it 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 could be detrimental. Yeah, I mean, one of the for me, can I can Something I just gonna that, I'm just going to ask an honest question here for me. Like, so one of the things that frustrated me a lot from my friends on the right was when there was a bunch of um, uh, doctors who got up to give a give a talk about treatments around COVID, and um, some of the doctors were totally seemed lucid. And then there was a woman from Florida who has a doc. She's a doctor running out of a strip mall in Florida who gave a big talk, but then started also talking about like demon sperm and. Like all of these other things that like in any other medical situation would be deemed like, hold up a second. Like <laughs> you just turned the corner here. We were talking about ivermectin and treating COVID, but now you're talking about demon sperm. Yeah. How do we, <laughs> you know, I can't take what she's saying yeah. seriously in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's not how- but then that's the stuff that gets pushed out on social media. So the left reacts against that, which I understand because that's crazy talk, you know. But yeah. but then I don't, you know. Anyway, I'm just I I feel like in general there's been so much from both sides that I'm just curious if there's any way to even unring that bell. Like at this point, like is there anything anybody can say to the community to be like that would actually be like, all right, now we trust you, we'll take it. No, they need to get. They need to. I think what they need to do is get a team of. Um, trusted black scientists and doctors, mm. you know, and 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 create something where we see some kind of thing in in the process of creation, and you know, run trials where you know we could see that it is safe, effective, and that this COVID um, is as bad as it is because a lot of uh, uh, what they say to our community, they're not seeing to other communities. <laughs> mm, mm, mm-hmm. Like what? Yeah. Like what in particular? Like, for example, I watch an interview with um, Fauci on Bloomberg or something like that, and he was, you know, he was saying something like, um, you know, eat healthy and eat plenty of vegetables and, you know, not to worry and just wear a mask and, you know, just stay healthy is the most important thing. You don't really have to fight up to really push and get the vaccine if you're healthy. Mm. That's what you say. You understand? On Bloomberg. Mm. But then you'll come on CNN and say, you know, the vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. You understand? So I really mm. feel like, or probably it's me that, you know, I watch a, a, a interview from back in the days and I don't know, but it just is very... Um, confusing yeah well i mean i'm i'm a i mean i consider myself a moderate lean to left-leaning democrat in terms of politics and i will admit that during the tail end of the trump administration when operation warp speed was working on these vaccines i had enough sort of hatred and fear of trump and distrust of the way he was doing things i was like i wonder if i should take this you know but then when biden got elected i didn't have that fear and that is not the way to – that's not a healthy way to see science necessarily like because whether or not Trump was president or Biden's president, you know who's still working at Pfizer? That big old nerd that I went to high school with, you know? <laughs> and like 
that is all, you know, yep. I, there, there were Democratic politicians. Ilan Omar was one of them out there saying, I don't know if we should take a vaccine from the Trump administration that might harm us. She was wrong. You know, like the, the vaccine has objectively helped a lot more people and hasn't killed people because Trump is an idiot. It's because there's nerds like my friend who are working on this every day. Um, and I'm just really bummed that I I, I feel like. Yeah, like yeah. I personally, my experience is different because, you mm. know, like I call in Trinidad. I hear about people who can't walk because they take the vaccine. I hear about, and these is people that I know. Mm. I hear about people who, like I, I would be on my um my phone and somebody will post um you know they they, they take the vaccine or something and you know it, it, they or even when they watch the Trinidad news and they talk about the vaccine mm-hmm. you see people saying that you know they aren't take the vaccine and they're still in the hospital and you know like I personally me I I kinda I am scared because I have a newborn too. I, my mm. my daughter is a month here, a mm. month here. So, um, I personally have to think about these things. And my son is three. Well, he's four years old in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really have to think about these things um, intently, mm. which I am as a father. Uh, but I can't really just rush into it. I really want to mm. wait and see what the science say, you know, see what it is happens, and see how far this goes, because, I mean, we healthy, we don't really delve up in unhealthy um, practices or eating habits. You know, I might take my little sipper, you know, one, two beer or something, but <laughs> nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> you know? Well, what what for you is the thing that you need to hear from the scientific community that will assuage any sort of worries you have at this point? Like what when you said you're waiting for more information, like what is the information that when you get it, you'll feel okay about the vaccine? Um, I want to hear that we will not have to be going back for shots every periodically because that's what I hear right now. Like, mm-hmm. if I, I don't mind it just being a, a, a one-time thing and it's a two-shot mm-hmm. and that's it and you build up whatever it is, the immunity build up. Or, and, but that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that in six months' time, <laughs> they're going to come and say, we're going to have to take the same procedure again and that is not what i am intending to do i never i am a person i grew up in trinidad where i does mind myself like my grandmother when we have a cough she i tell her my girl the other day she used to go outside pull a bush and boil it and give me that to drink just so happened that one of the bushes she used to pull out of the yard was cilantro mm-hmm. and to drink that as bush tea. That's what they call in cilantro up here. Mm-hmm. You understand? So yeah. these these is the things that you know I grew up on, and I truly believe that. Well, we know as human beings and as sensible human beings that they get in these medicines from plants, from you know. So if 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 the scientific community could tell me, hey, there are herbal and you know 
um, vegan friendly options available for all these things is uh, important to me because I am um, I don't want to be putting chemicals in my body you know mm. I feel like you know that that do make sense if it is thing had to happen then <laughs> thing had to, thing had to happen you understand in reality that's how life is we come and we go but that is not my intention. My intention is to live, you know, and I really want to be prosperous and, and you know, if it is to be that I have more children, I have more children, mm-hmm. you understand? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just personally do like, you know, the whole situation here and because I want my child to have a normal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want both of my children to have normal lives, you know? And I really hurting for them now. Every day I just be thinking about this thing. And it's not only, you know, it's it, it not taking a toll on me, but it's just it taking a toll on my girl too because, mm-hmm. you know, both of us are independent workers. Yep. You know, um, we don't really work for, <laughs> you know, this is stuff per se. So... It taking a toll on us because I'm a man. I just go to work and work with a lot of people now, mm-hmm. and a lot of older people. Like you mm-hmm. know, I I do a lot of work for older guys in reggae, and you know, so I am I am conscious about it. So you know, it's things like that that does take a toll on my mind. You know, and then we had to take the train and all that stuff. So, yeah. well, Kadeem, I, I I'm really really genuinely grateful for you. Uh, being honest with me and uh, having this conversation because I I wish that I wish that most folks on my side of the equation in terms of politically speaking (laughs) would have more conversations like this. And I wish, and I wish the same for the other side, because I, I do worry that like if I had not reached out to you, if we had not continued and had you not responded to me because you thought I was a lunatic, like, I think we both, neither one of us would have realized that actually, I think at the end of the day, both of us just want each other to be healthy and happy and alive. And I'm I, and I'm coming at you because I'm like, bro, you might die. I don't want you to die. I don't even know you, you know. And like, and I think it can be easily interpreted by you that I'm coming after you and trying to like make you do something you don't want to do. And it's like, you know, I think most people, and I, I'll speak for myself, if anytime I'm commenting on anything that you post about the vaccine or anything you comment on my half it's it's only the premise from those comments is like please don't die oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and, and, and you know it's just tricky I whenever have, i have see i have brethren and thing um you know take it already and thing and like mm-hmm. for example like i i think um being that i am rastafarian too i would be able to be more tolerant too because um, remember, we don't eat meat now, so mm. when we go plenty functions, it don't have food for we <laughs> that, That's that's objectively <laughs> and then, true. <laughs> and then sometimes you might sit down in a car and somebody eating meat, and you have to smell the meat, you know. So these are things that I, you know, I oh, you're living with somebody and they does eat meat and you have to deal with the smell of it, you know. So mm. these are the things that I I um. I knew for a while now. 
that tolerance. Mm. You understand? To just deal with, all right, that is your choice, and this is my choice. And, mm. you know, we could still be brethren. I love you same way, but they're my choice. You know? Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people who came around me, <laughs> a lot of people who came around me used to be surprised because, you know, they think that based on my social media presence, that I am this very, you know, now nah, we do eat meat and pull out that and, you know, like... Well, like you do, I will people. say this, Kadeem, your presence on social media is one of uber confidence. And whether or not you attend it that way, like every time I read your posts, I'm like, holy shit, he really feels strongly about this. There's no wiggle yeah. room in that. Whether or not that's what you intend, that's, you know, that's what I read into it. And I, 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 I do think about stuff that I post before I post it because mm. I am... Um, I really like it's it coming like I say as a Rastaman and you know I, I and and being that as a Rastaman is not that I just a Rastaman or is a religion or you know it's that I really believe that I come from the root of man you know and mm-hmm. I I have a responsibility to 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 get that message out now mm-hmm. and to, to 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 bellow it out and let the the the, the, the universe know that it have the original, you know, carbon here yeah. on this earth. You understand? Because we need to really take care of the earth, man. Well, that the only way. Can we say, yeah, take care of yourself, take care of yourself, and you ain't taking care of the earth. You go outside and you just throw a piece of paper. Or you get the paper when you build from the, the man in the store and you just throw it. You understand? Yeah, totally. I mean, in terms of, I mean, do you, do you listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson at all? Yes, I do. I listen to his podcast, Star Talk, religiously. And he, of of any scientist I've ever followed or listened to, has really imprinted on me this idea that we're all stardust. We all are yeah. emanating from the same the same Big Bang. And, um, it, you know, and all of this is to say that I think um, I want you to know that, like, despite anything I feel about vaccines, the thing the reason I'm so frustrated by all this is because if someone held a gun to my head right now and was like, you can spend the rest of your life with a symphony orchestra fully vaccinated, playing concerto music with your group, or you have to spend the rest of your life in Skiffle Bunch's yard and you have no way of knowing if anybody there is vaccinated, that decision's really easy for me. <laughs> I'll see you at Skiffle's yard in a heartbeat. Yeah. And I, that's that right there is a, that's a con... That is, those are two conflicting ideas that I'm holding in my head, but I feel totally justified in, and I believe yeah. wholeheartedly. And I, to me, that's the the. I'm just I, I'm worried too because I worry just like, oh, you might not, you might not be exposed to steel bands if you have this rigid <laughs> policy, and just, being, being exposed, I'm, being exposed changed my life, you know. And so like, ah, just let up a little bit so you can experience, you know. Anyway, I don't. The know. thing about it is nowadays they make it so hard or they make it seem like something wrong with being in the middle ground. Mm-hmm. You understand? They yeah. make it seem like something wrong with just being, you know, I I know that, that nothing wrong with not knowing. You understand? Not, and that is the beauty of, you know, being conscious and aware and open-minded now. Mm. You understand? And I give thanks to my way of life for that, for Rastafari for that, because mm. we that does um his Imperial Majesty used to talk about that a lot. Open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
being conscious, you know, being aware of your surroundings and tolerance, uh, to- having tolerance with your neighbor, even though they don't agree, you know. All these things that his imperial majesty does teach. So when I consider these things and I think about the vaccine and what's going on in the world and even still ban, you understand? I just try to apply open-mindedness, tolerance. And and with that, it, it cloaked in love. You understand? Mm-hmm. Love is first and foremost, you know, because I want to see the best. <clears throat> you want the, the most, the best, you know, the most optimum level of greatness for the steel band community and for not for the human community, mm. you know, is it, that, that is what I want. You understand? Because, I mean, this world is so beautiful if we just be beautiful and, and you know, live in it. Eh? Like, I just, mm. I, I just watch the simplest thing. Boy. Like, the other day, I went out with my girl and um, she had the baby on the tie wrap just to give a little example of beauty and how the world could be beautiful now. And um, Miguel was standing up next to me and a guy passed us, but he stand up right next to us and he light a cigarette. I guess he didn't see the baby or whatever because it was in the wrap, right? The baby was in the wrap, my daughter. And um, I I didn't even realize he he light the cigarette. Mm -hmm. I was watching, it had a drumline um, going on. It had a drumline on Fulton. It was on Fulton Street in Bed-Stuy. And um, he lighted the cigarette or whatever, and I just engaged in the performance or whatever. And when I turn around to watch my girl, I see watchman, he say, um, brethren, I disturbed you. But I didn't even, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. acknowledge or realize he was standing there, and I realized he's smoking a cigarette. And I say, hey, well, yeah, you know, you disturb, you disturb the baby, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he watched on and he realized it. But then I watched McGill and I said, look at that. You understand? He didn't have to say, you understand? Mm-hmm. Am I disturbing you? And that to me was so beautiful in that moment, now, boy, to see that it still have, yeah, the man smoking a cigarette, but he still care about mm-hmm. he around. Well, I mean, this is something that I've clocked. I mean, again, that I, I, I may be sort of painting with a broad brush here, but my experience of the steel band community since I was 17, and then especially since I went to Trinidad in 2002, has been one of, if it's clear to them that you're in it to win it, you're part of the crew. doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. doesn't matter if you smoke. doesn't matter if you do drugs. doesn't matter if you drink too much. Like, everybody will figure out a way to keep you in the club as long as you return the favor. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. when a, if a vagrant runs in the yard and starts attacking somebody, you jump on and you help. Like, like those yeah. sorts of things. Like, to me, that that unity that you spoke of, like, it is a very big five-letter buzzword that I think a lot of people don't understand until you're in it, until you realize that the person that you you all day are arguing with about vaccines actually gets in a fist fight on your behalf with somebody you don't know to protect you. Mm-hmm. In my book, that offsets any sort of fight we might have about vaccines. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I, I don't know how to express or how to get other people to understand that until they just have the experience themselves. Yeah. There's no way I can convince you know a cousin I had in Ohio to understand that until they can do it, you know. And so anyway, I, I'm really Kadeem. This has been really 
great, really fun for me. I don't know if it was for you, but selfishly, I really, really, I learned a ton and I'm really grateful. And I, I hope this conversation serves as some sort of, um, actually, could you just show me your, un- unmute your camera just so we can end this with our faces. <laughs> yes, sorry, sorry. There you are. Like I, a little I, I think if this conversation can serve as, if nothing else, just an example of, of how two people who clearly are from two different backgrounds can just have a conversation yeah. and maybe not have fixed anything, but at least have a conversation. And then when we fight on Facebook later, <laughs> at least you and I know that we're cool. Like, I don't care if anybody else yeah. thinks that we're cool. And I feel yeah, like that cool. is worth its weight in gold. So from the bottom of my heart, Kadeem, thank you so much. And I really hope yeah. that we get to cross paths and tip a beer back. And, and Yeah, for sure, for sure. I have some, um, some projects that it definitely includes um, – Fan people, um, like I say, I really want the unity. I have ideas, and you know, it uh, it, it has so much for we out there. But we just have to present yourself the right way, and you know, do things in a certain way to get what we are to get. You know, because yeah. I mean, all these big artists, there's not big artists just so. It has certain paperwork and certain things that they do that you know. And we just have to get on that train and understand the business and understand what what it entails to reach that level and we'll get there well we don't have a choice that there's sol there's solitude in that like there's solace in the idea that we don't have a choice so let's just do it and stop i, I see a lot of men out there i see a lot of trees out there right now what i think they should be doing is really trying to you know make up get a presence you know make make a presence known if you're out there do your thing. What are you going to do? Throw it, send it back to Trinidad and tell you you stay too long? It's a pandemic. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's about elevating and taking it to the next level. I, I like that Duvon out there. I want to see him do anything. He's gone to California. I want to see him do a little music video something. You understand? Yeah. This is the levels I want to see men doing. You know? Well, it's happening, and and on that front, um, uh, Kadeem, uh, my policy here is my door is always open. If you ever want to have do another podcast, um, and it can be about a project you're working on, it doesn't have to be about anything other than a specific thing you want to chat about. I'm really grateful Uh, for your time, and I I, I'm serious. I hope you stay healthy and safe, and I look forward to shaking your hand and giving you a big old hug in person when we can finally (laughs) do it. All right. Yes, I blessings. All right, take care to you and your family. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Same to you. See you, buddy. Bye. All right. Bless you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch. Great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy. Dunleavypans.com. D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on. Uh, so percussion as well as at nyu and princeton uh he's an amazing amazing tuner builder um just a really nice guy very dependable check him out if you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy uh want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in brooklyn check out paninmotion.com my good friend kendall williams uh jerry guy trisha guy and uh, arisha john run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com check him out 
And finally, Alejandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at Mango Chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.